2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Do you have it? Coming from the New King James Version. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house or my family that you have brought me this far? What made King David say such a thing? What made him reflect on how far the Lord had brought him? What caused him to stop and pause and recollect about the mercy of God operating in his life? What, what led him to this place? Well, according to the context of 2 Samuel, David was sitting in his house one day. He had just secured the entire nation. For about seven years, he was the king of Judah. One tribe, his tribe. But there came a time when the other 11 tribes came unto him and acknowledged him as king, and they anointed him as king, crowned him as king, and now he is king over all 12 tribes. And as he has just brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, because it had been stationed in another location under the regime of Saul, but David wanted to make sure that his reign was marked with the fact that the Lord is the ultimate king of his people. And he wanted the presence of God to mark his rulership. So the Ark of the Covenant was that sacred box where the glory of the Lord would come and manifest over the two angels, the seraphim, who were stretched out over what is called the mercy seat. And it would be over that ark made of gold that once a year the priests would go in and make atonement for the sins of the nation by sprinkling blood on that mercy seat. David wanted that ark near him. And as he brought that ark near him, as you know, he leapt and danced and rejoiced before the Lord because the presence of the Lord was among the people. And so David is sitting there. He has rest from all of his enemies. The kingdom has been unified. The Ark of the Covenant is in a tent, and David is in a house. No doubt a palace. And as he's sitting there, according to chapter 7, he's thinking, look at how blessed I am to be dwelling in a house of cedar. But the Ark of the Covenant is dwelling in a tent. And so this worshiper, this man who just loved to give God, as Pastor John said, everything he had, he felt that this setup was a little different because why am I dwelling in a cedar house, no doubt with ivory fixtures everywhere, 
And the ark of God is in a tent. So he gets the idea and he says to the prophet Nathan, he says, I want to build a house for the Lord. And Nathan at that moment, knowing David's heart for God and seeing how God had protected him as he ran from Saul and how God had established him, Nathan said, do everything that is in your heart to do, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, Nathan, go back and tell David that he is not to build my house. His son is to build my house. He, he, he will not build my house. And as we'll see today, God's going to say other things to him. Now, let me pause here for a minute as we're all trying to discern the will of God at different junctures in our lives. Lord, which way are you leading? How are you directing my path? Should I move to Nashville? Should I move from Nashville? Should I take this job? Should I go to that school? Should I marry this person? Should we have another child? Should we adopt? As we're all trying to discern the will of God, sometimes we can do what Nathan did. And that is this thing looks so obvious. Yes, you're to build a house for the Lord. And the prophet didn't even intercede and ask God what God wanted. He just assumed that David was supposed to do this thing. It was in his heart. He's the king. So, yes, man, do whatever's in your heart. But that night the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, Nathan, not so. You know, sometimes you can think you've got the will of God figured out that, man, this is it. And maybe you didn't really pray about it. You just added up the pieces and thought, this is right. But thank God for the spirit of the Lord if we listen. He'll talk to us in a still, small voice. He'll grieve our hearts, and he'll say, uh-uh, this is not it. I know it looks right. I know it makes a lot of sense, but no. So when God gives the red light, will we obey or will we keep on pressing through the intersection? So Nathan came back to the king and said, king, no, you're not to build this house. Later in Chronicles, we understand that David... His hands had shed too much blood. And God says, no, you're not to, I, I don't want a warrior. I know you're a worshiper, but you are a warrior. I, I, I want someone whose hands are not stained with blood to build my house, and that would be Solomon. But the thing that blew David away, that made David say, Lord, who am I and what is my family that you've brought me this far, is that God said to David, no, you won't build a house for me, but I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to build a house for you. And he's going to lay out some things about this house because one of his descendants is going to sit on the throne of David forever. Solomon's throne would go for 40 years, but there would be a descendant in David's line whose throne would last forever. And God said to David, I'm going to build you a house. Now, here's a great principle. We just gave our tithes and offerings, year-end gifts to the Lord, all those great things. But the beautiful thing about when you give to a king, a king will never, ever let you outgive him when you give to the king. And so when we give to the king of kings and we say, Lord, here's that tithe, God says, Watch me open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings you don't even have room enough to receive. 
You came to me with a 13-inch shovel. I'm coming back to you with the 20-foot bulldozer, and I'm going to give unto you more than you could ever give to me. And so as David wants to give to God his best offering, I'm going to build you a house. You can't outgive the king. The king is blessed by that offering. Yes, David, okay. Because God says, never have I asked Israel for a house. When we went from place to place in the wilderness, never did I ask them for a permanent dwelling place. So, David, I am blessed by your heart to want to build me a house, but you won't build me a house. But guess what? I'm going to build you one, and it will be more than anything you could ever imagine because it's going to be more, listen to this, than bricks and mortar. (laughs) The house that I'm building for you, it's eternal. So David was humbled by what he heard. And he said, Lord, you're going to build me a house? So on this last Sunday, let's not get it twisted, okay? Let's not get it twisted. David said, who am I, oh, Lord God, that you would bless me like this? Don't get it twisted because it's not about who you are. It's about who he is. Again, let's not get it twisted. David was not getting this honor because he deserved it or because he earned it. No, he was getting this honor because of grace, because of the mercy of the Lord. And when God called Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to go and do something that you could never do in your own strength. I know that you are a stutterer. I know that you even came from some troubled upbringings as far as being put into the Nile and raised by Egyptians and all that stuff. But I'm calling you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Over 600,000 men on foot, not counting women and children. Over a million people. I want you, Moses, to tell Pharaoh to let him go. And Moses shrank by that awesome task. And he said, oh, Lord, who am I? Who am I? And there's that place where we all shrink in our humanity, where we say, who am I? But it's not who am I, it's who I am. Wait a minute, let me see if I can get this right. It's not about who I am, it's about who he is, the great I am. It's the I am that works this thing out that helps me deal with my weaknesses, my frailties, my limitations. It's I am working through me. So when I ask who I am, it's not about who I am. It's all about who he is, and he is the great I am. And not only did he call Moses, but right here he said to David, my brother, I am going to bless you. It's not about you. It's all about me. And because of who I am, my goodness should humble you so that you don't get it twisted. And maybe try to put your name on this house I'm about to build for you. Yeah, the son of David, the throne, the Messiah will be sitting on David's throne. But David, it's not about you. Now, we get it twisted when we think it's about us. And so if the goodness of the Lord does not humble us, that means we've got it twisted. God's been so good to us. Even as we sang, there's pain in the offering. He gives, he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because he's good all the time, and all the time he's good. He's a good God, and his goodness to us 
ought to humble us where we don't get it twisted. It's not about who we are. It's all about who he is. And in that comes great confidence that some can even misinterpret as arrogance. But no, it's confidence because I know who my redeemer is. I, I know I know who he is. So let me just run over some things real quick. What the Lord said to David when David said, you done brought me a mighty long way. Who am I that you would bring me this far? Who am I? Well, here's what the Lord said to David in the earlier portions of chapter 7. God said to him in verse 8, he says, I took you. You want to know who you are? Let me tell you who you are. You're somebody that I took. I didn't leave you out there tending sheep. The Bible says, I took you from the sheepfold. Isn't it good when God takes you? When he takes your life and he takes control of your life. I love how the Bible says in the book of Genesis that God took the man and put him in the garden. Isn't it good when God takes your life and puts you where he wants you to be? Because when he takes you, that means his hands are on you. When he touches you, his, his hand is good upon you. And because he's the Lord of all, he can place you wherever he wants to place you. And he knows where to place us when we don't even think we should be placed there. But he took them. Now, the Lord says, I took you from the sheepfold. Because David was overlooked by his father. But he was not overlooked by God the Father. When Samuel came to anoint a king from the house of Jesse, they looked at all the brothers of David and Samuel said, no, none of these are the one. And mom and dad even forgot they had another boy. And Samuel said, is there another one? And they said, well, yeah, there's another one, but he's out there with the sheep. You see, when you worked with sheep back in that day and culture, that wasn't a great job. That was one of the jobs on the low rung of society and the low rung of the totem pole. That's why when Jesus was born and God ministered first to the poor, the shepherds represent the poor. They're living in the fields at night. They're homeless. And so when you work with sheep, that's a menial job. That's why they gave it to David, just to get him out of our hair. And when David showed up at the battle to fight Goliath, one of his brothers said, what have you done with those few sheep you were supposed to be tending back home? In other words, we just gave you that job. Come on, walk the dog, man. And so God says, I took you from the sheepfold, really a place of nothingness. Y'all stay with me right now. And God said, you were following the sheep. Now, I'm not that bright. But aren't most shepherds supposed to lead sheep and not follow sheep? So David wasn't even a good shepherd. He had a few sheep. And he had the nerve to be following behind them rather than leading them. God says, that's why I chose you. Because every great thing I'm going to do in your life as you lead my people, it's because of me working through you, not because you bring something to the table. You weren't that bright, my brother, because when you walk behind sheep, guess what you're going to step in? Dung. And didn't he rescue our lives from the dung heap? following behind the world, doing everything the world does, no identity, no purpose, even overlooked by our parents and our teachers and significant folk. But God says, I'm going to take you because you're mine. 
And I'm going to take you from the lowest place to the highest place because God says, I'm taking you from the sheephole, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. I'm taking you from the bottom to the penthouse. I'm taking you from being in a low place to being in a high place, to being in a common spot, to being now in a royal spot. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now we're here. How'd you get there? It was the Lord who took me, and it was the Lord who exalted me. See, God loves to exalt humble folk. But when you exalt yourself, the Lord, because he loves you, will humble you. He has shown you, Micah 6, 8, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk what? Humbly. I don't know how a Christian can be arrogant. Now, I know how because of our flesh where we want to be worshipped. So I get that. We all battle with that. But when we take regular strolls by Calvary, when we take regular time in the presence of the Lord, I don't know how the, the pride in our flesh continues to live because the grace of God ought to humble us and say, Lord, have mercy on my soul. You're such a good God. You're an awesome God. You're mighty. I can't walk in pride if I walk by Calvary on a regular basis. And think about what Jesus did to save me from my mess. God says, not only did I take you and I exalted you, I've been with you. My presence, I've, been, I've never left you the way I left Saul. Saul left me, and in the Old Testament, the presence of the Lord was conditional and temporary. And God said to David, I, I've been with you wherever you have gone. Then he says, I've cut off all your enemies in verse 9. In other words, I fought for you. <laughs> David knew he didn't really kill Goliath. That first big battle. He knew that the Lord of hosts was going to take care of Goliath. David was just a willing vessel that went and God used him. And David knew, when they, although they say David has killed his tens of thousands, David knew who really dealt with Goliath. And so God says, I fought for you. Isn't it good when God fights for you? When you don't even know he's fighting in heavenly places for you. When evil spirits are attacking you on airplanes, in the grocery store, on your job, in your house, in your neighborhood. God is sending a heavenly host around you to protect you. His angel encamps around those who fear him. He's fighting in the heavenlies for us all of the time. Disease tries to enter our body. The Lord says no. People try to hurt and kill us, for the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But God says, no, mm -mm, mm -mm. his days are numbered. His days are marked by me, not by you. Get your hands off of him, off of her. He's fighting for us. And wait, that car accident, whoop, it did not happen. That person was going to try to mug you, mm, it did not happen. That person was going to try to take you for your money, it did not happen. He's fighting for us all of the time. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord my righteousness. Oh, my, he, he's the Lord mighty in battle. Oh, I can stop and just say thank you, Lord, for fighting some battles for me that I could not and would not even fight on my own. But then God says, I've made you. He said, I've made you a great name from a shepherd to a king. I did that. And then God says to him, David, I'm going to make 
your house in verse 11. I'm, I'm blessed that you want to bless me with a house, but, but I'm going to make you a house. And not only will I make you a house, I will set up your seed after you. So we see a prophecy here that Nathan is speaking to David. And he's like, your seed after you. God is going to establish his kingdom forever. He will build the house. So with most prophecies, there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. It's speaking of what's going on right then and there historically, but also what's going on futuristically and prophetically. Because some of this prophecy deals with Solomon. But some of this prophecy also deals with Jesus Christ, the son of David. So there's a prophetic word. Yes, Solomon's going to build a physical temple. But the Lord Jesus Christ is going to build an eternal temple unto the Lord. And his throne will be established forever. And God says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And that's what God said when Jesus was baptized. This is my son. He has a unique place. He is in the bosom of the father. He has supremacy over any and everything and everybody. He is the unique, only begotten son of God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Y'all better listen to him. So these are the things that the Lord did and said to David. He said, man, I took you. I exalted you. I've been with you. I've fought for you. I've made you. I will make you a house. I will set up your seed. I will establish his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. So here's the question of the morning. Did David deserve all of this? And the answer is no. Just like we don't deserve anything that we get. Only thing we deserve is death, to be cut off. But mercy said no. God, who is rich in mercy, never runs out of mercy. Every time he digs in his celestial pocket, he's loaded with mercy. And I always think I done used up all of the mercy of the Lord with the same mess every day I'm confessing and dealing with. And he's just still rich in mercy. Chris, I got you. And that mercy begins to change me. It's just not something that cleanses me. It's his mercy, Romans 2, 4, that leads me into a different kind of life of repentance. He's so good to me, I want to do the right thing. And even when I want to do the right thing, evil is still present with me. And he's like, I know. I know your frame. Your butt dust. I get it. You don't even know how wicked and deceitful your heart is. But guess what? I know it. I know how bad your heart is, but I still love you, and I still want you, and I've still made a way for you, and it's called my grace and my mercy. You see, David didn't deserve this, y'all. I got to tell you, because at this time, bruh man had at least seven wives. That's something kings did. They multiplied wives, but that was never the perfect will of God. So David has at least seven wives. He also rebuked his first wife, Michael. Because once he got his kingdom established, he sent his warriors to go back and get his first wife who had been given to another man. And David said, go get her. And when Joab went to get her, or Abner went to get her, her husband was walking behind crying, oh, don't take my wife. Now, this is David's first wife that Saul gave to another man. David said, go get my first wife. I know I got seven, but go get my first wife. They go get her, and the husband's walking by, oh, don't take my wife. Man, Abner turned around and said, shut up and go home. Dude turned around and went home. 
David was a beast, man. Got her into the house. And then when David, y'all remember when he danced to come into Jerusalem? Michael despised him. First in her heart, then it came out of her mouth. And she ridiculed the king, put him down. And from that point, David said, I'm not even going to be with you anymore. You won't even have children. So he chose not to be with her. So this man that God is blessing, he has some ugliness about him. And not only did he kill people, David also had people mutilated. Had their heads cut off, their hands cut off, their feet cut off, their bodies hung. This was a man of war. Did he deserve this? No! Do you deserve it? Do I deserve it? No. There's blood on our hands. But by the grace of God, there's why there's no other word for grace but amazing. So as I conclude this message, David said, Lord, you brought me a mighty long way from tending sheep to now I'm the king and you're going to build me a house that's going to last forever. You, Wow, I'm blown away. Now here's the deal. God brought us a long way, not only this year, but in years past. He's not finished with us. And I believe, as Dr. Tony Evans has said, the, best, the rest of our lives can be the best of our lives. He hasn't done anything yet. He, he really hasn't shown his power yet. Because our best days are still ahead. So you thought he did something to bring you to this point. Oh, my, you, what he has for us in the future is better than what he's done to this point. That's why after 23 years of marriage, it's still getting better and better, just like age one. So now, Pastor, how can you emphatically say that our future is going to be better than what God's already done? And what he's already done is just blown my mind. Because some of us are trapped into thinking what God did back then, he can't do tomorrow. The way he got me out of that way, he can't do again, as if he's limited. The way he blessed you with this, that, and the other, he can't do it again. I want to let you know something. Your best is yet to come. Pastor, why do you say that? Folks, this is sobering what I'm about to say. God just blessed David big time. A few chapters later, David falls off. Am I right about it? He, he falls off, right? He commits adultery, a man with eight wives sleeps with another man's wife, and then kills the husband. And this upset the Lord. And the Lord showed up again through Nathan. The bearer of good news now had to come with tough news. This is why you got to pray for your pastor. Because sometimes I'm going to bring you some good news. That's just going to, oh, thank you, Jesus. Then other Sundays, I might bring you some challenging news that's going to make you say, oh, Jesus. But you should not want a pastor who's only going to give you one or the other. Some of us have pastors that all they give us is tough news. Every time I go there, I got to break out some spiritual band-aids because he's going to cut me up from the pulpit or she's going to tear me up. Get beat up on Sunday. Walk out limping every week. Get vegetable sermons. I want something else. But give me, can I get some ice cream? Can I get some dessert? Everything got to be a Brussels sprout sermon. I can't swallow it all the time. But neither do you want 
the preacher who only makes you feel good about yourself. <laughs> who smiles at you all the time. Tells you how good you are. There has to be a balance. Nathan came with some good news. Now God sent him in with some challenging news and said to David, now, now here's what the Lord said, and this is so sobering to me. Verse 7 of chapter 12, 2 Samuel, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Sounds just like chapter 7. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. But you disqualified yourself. You short-circuited what I wanted to do. I had much more. You thought I brought you somewhere in chapter 7? I had so much more for you. But you made some choices. Now, I'm still going to get you back on the right path. But you're going to have to walk some places where you're going to reap what you have sown. And I'm going to walk with you through that. I will not leave you as you're walking barefoot out of Jerusalem. I'm not going to leave you as you're hiding again from your own son. I'm going to still be with you. We're going to hit that bullseye because of my grace. But man, the stick, the arrow just got a whole lot crooked because of your choices. So I want to say to somebody today, yeah, he's brought you this far to the end of another year, and I do believe the best is yet to come for you, for me, for this ministry, prayerfully for our nation and this world. But if we choose to make decisions that don't honor him, if his grace lulls us into a sleep where we forget about his holiness, he will spike us in love. But let's not be those kind of children when the Spirit is warning, when the Spirit is saying, no, come on, walk circumspectly. Ah, oh, David, he acknowledged, Lord, you brought me a mighty long way. Can you do that? At the end of this year, can you say, oh, Lord, you've brought me a mighty long way. Some of my friends didn't make it, but, Lord, I'm standing by the grace of God. You brought some of us out of jail cells, and you brought some of us out of hospital rooms. You brought some of us out of unemployment. You brought some of us out of death. Some of us laid people to rest this year. You, you brought me a mighty long way, but, Lord, I believe the best is yet to come. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is Ezekiel 19, or Exodus 19.4, where God said to Israel, ah, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God said, y'all saw what I did to the enemy and how I brought you up out of the land of bondage into the land flowing with milk and honey. And I not only brought you out, I brought you out on eagles' wings. I could have brought you out on camels. He could have used that as an illustration. He could have even said the majestic horse. But the Lord said, when I brought you out, y'all didn't know it when I was doing it. But I brought you out first class. 
I brought you out of something and into something on Jehovah Airlines, and you didn't even know it. And when I brought you out, I flew you out of there, man, and I gave everybody a first-class seat where I served each and every person everything that they needed. Your shoes never wore out. Your clothes never wore off your back. I fed your manna in the morning and in the evening. I gave you water out of the rock. I brought you out first class on eagle's wings. And if I can bring you out, I can bring you in. If I can bring you through 2014 with all of its ups and downs and challenges, I can bring you through 2015. And I believe even when he brings us through, he's bringing us to something greater. Oh, yeah. And this ain't no prosperity thing. This is truth thing. I want all that God has for me. I don't want to go to heaven and he tell me I could have and I should have. Oh, no, I want to die with my boots on. I want to be used up. When I meet the Lord, I want to hear, well done. You did what I told you. You trusted me. When I gave you those talents, you multiplied them for me. You didn't bury it. So, yeah, 2015, let's go. Let's go. Let's believe God. Because God will carry you anywhere that he calls you.